Welcome to Crow Tours. This week, Asking Smarter Questions, Part 2. The questions this cast answers are, what are smart questions? How can you ask smarter questions? And what questions can you use? Managerial success isn't magic. Management is a teachable and learnable process. So why fumble through your career to reinvent the wheel of management? It seems ineffective and inefficient to struggle through when the answers are right in front of you. Join us at an upcoming Effective Manager conference by registering at manager-tools.com forward slash training. We'll share with you the wheel. Last week, we were talking about questions and asking smarter questions. We're going to continue today. We were talking about questions that begin with why, and we're going to continue that with the next one, which is why are we doing it this way? The horseman's eighth law is the other way often works just fine. And Mark explains this by saying, there's someone else out there who has succeeded to the same level that you have with exactly the opposite intuitions you have. And hey, they wonder how you got here too. <laughs> um, your idea, our idea that the that our way is always right is routinely controverted. And you just think it's right because it's yours, which you know, that's just how it works for us. That's how our brain works. And there are many ways to achieve that same outcome. Are you doing whatever it is in the most revenue positive and cost negative way? That's a good question to ask ourselves. It is. So as an example, Manager Tools licensees benefit from the interview creation tool. It's something that we created. When you're hiring, you answer 64 questions and the tool spits out a full interview for you. The introduction, the questions, what to look for in the answers, and it's all done automatically and focused on the job you described by answering the questions. So it's a really good benefit of uh, Manager Tools licenses if you haven't got one. But it was built some time ago on Ruby on Rails. And the version of Ruby on Rails that it was built on will no longer be supported sometime soon, I think by the end of the year. So Mike has three choices. Mike, uh, being our IT guru, uh, has three choices. Do nothing and hope that it stays up. Convert it to Drupal, which is what the rest of our website works on. And then we can roll the maintenance in with the rest of the website. Or... Leave it on Ruby, but update the version to the most recent version. Mm-hmm. And some of those choices include sub-choices about who would do the work and therefore how much it would cost. So as well as cost and revenue, Mike's also got to think about what's the risk of the product not being available. If we left it on that unsupported iteration, how likely is it to fall over? And how likely is it to stay fallen over? Or could we fix it? So all of that goes into the the decision about which thing to do next. And if you were in a meeting with Mike and he didn't explain his thought process around the choice he made, then why are we doing it this way would be a good question. And you might want to say it, rather ask it as, would you mind giving me a high level understanding about how you decided to do it that way rather than why are we doing it this way? That's (laughs) an aggressive way to say it. But it's easy to remember, which is why we put it here. But when you're actually asking it, try and ask it a little bit more gently about, can you just explain to me how you came to that decision? Also, questions like that can help us improve our thought process around making decisions too. 
having an understanding of how someone else got there? It's a good question. Our next question is when, right? And our first example is, when is the deadline? (laughs) This question is way more important than the number of times it's asked would have you believe. So we don't hear it often enough, we don't think, based on its importance, like its level of importance. And we think, you know, you guys probably have the same experience. More projects don't get finished because there isn't a deadline or an owner than for any other reason. Think about your own workload. What are you working on today? Things that are due probably in the next week or so. What about the things, though, that your boss said, just get it done when you can? Have you made any progress on that? Right? Of course not, because there's no deadline assigned, which deadline is often how we measure urgency and level of importance. Mm -hmm. Any action that doesn't have a deadline needs one in order to get accomplished. If it's your responsibility, don't take the task without a deadline. When your boss says, just get it done when you can, create a deadline for yourself. Create that urgency and help yourself to get it done so that it will actually get done. The deadline is almost like a proxy for its for a task's urgency and level of importance. That's a really good point. I haven't thought of that before. Okay, so the next ones are around the question, how? So the first one of those is, how can we make this easier, cheaper, or faster? And again, this comes down to increasing revenue or reducing cost. And time is a cost because the more time something takes, the more it costs in labor. So if a task co- takes me four hours, then, then it costs half a day. If it co- takes me 40 hours, it costs a whole week, whatever my salary is or my hourly rate. So this is another way of saying, why are we doing it this way? And we're giving you two ways to ask it because one, it's important. And two, asking the same question in different ways can help you come up with different solutions. But we don't want you to ask all of the same question in three different ways in one meeting. We just say, when you're thinking about asking the question, answer one of them in your head and then ask the other one or or decide which one gives you something more tangible or more meaty to discuss. And sometimes, how else can we do this? You're just like, I have no idea. Like, what, what other ways are there to do this? But how can we make this cheaper helps because it's focusing you on one element. Yeah, it changes your focus a little bit. So if you're responsible for creating the brochures, for example, for a trade fair, how else can we do this makes it hard because brochures are brochures. And if we ask instead, how can you make that cheaper? Then we might come up with some solutions pretty quickly, right? We could have the brochures printed near the location. So we save on shipping or we could change suppliers to one that costs less money. We could change the weight of the paper so that the supplies are actually less. We could reduce the number of colors or colored pages. We could even increase the size of the batches that we're printing because often you get a discount for larger batches, right? And then that way we could have flyers for more than one event at a time and also reduce costs. We could even reduce the number that we're giving out or make it electronic. Nowadays, everything's electronic. You could put it in the app. You could make the customers pay, right? You could increase the amount that the customer is paying and give them the value back in like a discount on a purchase or something like that. 
You can buy a printer and make them at your house. There are lots of opportunities to save costs when you think about it that way, when you shift your focus a little bit. Next up, how can we satisfy the requirements more fully without more effort? And again, it's a kind of variation on the other ones, but let's let's continue with the same example. So if the requirement is to have brochures for potential customers at the trade fair, the brochures allow your customers to understand the project range and decide on what they might buy. They answer the customer's questions. So often if you go to a trade fair, you know that customers always ask the same five things. How much does it cost? When can I have it? Can we have it cheaper? You know, there's always the standard questions. So how can we satisfy the customer's questions without adding costs? How can we satisfy their questions more fully without adding costs? Mm -hmm. Because effort equals time equals cost every time. So if we have, say we have three people at our trade in our trade fair team and they all go to the trade fair because you have a hundred customers in a day and you need three people to be able to answer their all of their questions in a reasonable time. If there's another way of doing that, if there's another way of answering the people's questions and you only have to send two people to the trade fair, you've just saved probably the cost of entry for one person and one person's salary effectively. So what you need to do then is say, okay, so what questions do customers have? That's the requirement. And then how can we give them the information without the salesperson talking to them individually? That's what's happening now. And so now we're thinking, how can we do that differently? How can we still satisfy their questions, but not have another person there? And there's some ideas, right? We could include links in the brochure to get more information from the website instead of answering the questions. We could include case studies so the customers can understand how products might work for them. We could put pricing in the brochure and maybe on a website calculator function. We could include frequently asked questions on the website. We could take note of customer questions throughout the year and update the website or the brochure to include that information. We could even make shopping lists for the customers and put them on the website. So if you buy this portion of our product, you might also need this one as well. Or if you buy you know, this, you're gonna need the power supply for that or a certain hose or something. Often you see that when you buy, uh, I bought a lamp recently and it said, you'll need these bulbs. <laughs> and I was like, excellent, good. I don't have to go work out which ones I need. Oh, that's the worst, having to figure out which light bulb. That and batteries. It's kind of like if you've ever been to Ikea, right? You can see there's tape measures all throughout the store hanging up. The items have the dimensions on them, but sometimes you need to know a dimension that they don't give you. Uh, Maybe how thick the tabletop is or something like that. And the tape measure allows you to just grab it and measure it for yourself so that sales associates can actually go on with selling or, you know, other revenue increasing activities such as helping someone design a kitchen or things like that. And so this is an example of us answering the how questions is, you know, something like a tape measure being available for us. Yeah. How can we answer a customer's question without using a sales associate? We give them a tape measure and they also give you a pencil so that you can write it down. Yeah. I love Ikea. If you are near an Ikea and you haven't been to one, then you have to go, not because I want you to buy the furniture, but because they're, sales process the way they get you to buy stuff is so good it's just amazing they have this 
particular path and they say, okay, this is the way around the store. And the way they send you, you have to walk past everything. And there's little things to pick up that you think, oh, I, I didn't know I needed one of those, but I do now. I love Ikea. I do too. It's a great store. And it's a little bit like Target. You're going to leave with more than you thought you. <laughs> <laughs> there are things you didn't know you wanted. Yeah. Bed Bath & Beyond is like that for me as well. Oh, look, here's a thousand things I didn't know I wanted until I walked in. Or even didn't know I needed until I walked in. And now I'm convinced I need them. There's a million doohickeys that do things I didn't know that you could even fix. <laughs> anyway, okay. So the next question we're going to cover is where. We're going to ask this question where. And this one is fun for me because it's pretty topical. <laughs> so ask yourself, do you have an appointment on your calendar in the next week that doesn't include the location? And if you do, you might want to get that fixed, right? We do this all the time when we're scheduling meetings because we have a conference line that we call the bridge. And often, if there's more than two people on the call, the assumption is that the call will be on the bridge. And that's not always the case. I'm really bad at asking this question. And it just often for a lot of us, where comes up less often than those other questions. And when you don't know where, or when two people think where is not the right where, then the consequences can be messy, awkward. Interesting. When you try and book a flight to a place that you think you know where it is, and it turns out there's two of them, and you're in the wrong place. That would be bad. This reminds me. I went to Las Vegas to meet my brother, and we were in one of those enormous hotels in in Vegas. And he said to me, I'll meet you in reception. So five minutes later, 10 minutes later, he's not in reception. I'm standing in reception. And so I'm calling him. I'm saying, where are you? And he says, I'm in reception. And I said, can you see something? I don't know. I picked something. And he said, no. And then I thought about that for a second. Oh. And I went up to someone. I said, is there more than one reception in this hotel? And the guy's like, yes. That explains why I think I'm in reception and my brother thinks he's in reception and we're not in the same place. Oh, yeah. So even, even the name of the place can be different. So when where goes wrong, it goes really wrong. Yeah. I play this game with Uber drivers a lot. <laughs> yes. Yes. Where are you? Yeah. I'm at the apartment. Well, okay. Which side of the building? It's one of those things too where north, south, east, and west are so important, right? Yes. I'm on the left. Yeah, that's not how that works. So that's where is an important question. And our next question we recommend is who, right? We have some examples. Who is the best person to do this? And it's funny, we talk about this a lot in our delegation casts. And I often think about it because there's a lot of different reasons why someone should do it. And they change from person to person, right? You know, sometimes who is the best person to do this is who's the best the person who's the best at it or who needs the experience or who would like to do it, things like that. And because this question has so many nuances, it's one that can be really powerful in terms of how we're going to get things done, right? It's just, it's a pretty underused question. We're recognizing here that we're not asking whose job is it to do this? And that's because there's options. That's, it's a good question, whose job is it to do this? Because often even the tasks that we have, they don't even have owners. And if you don't have an owner, 
the same as when you don't have a deadline, things don't get done, right? If it's not assigned to anyone, then it's not really probably seeing much progress. We sometimes, we make fun like about if something's been dropped, we call it, oh, that it's been assigned to the floor, right? Yes. From delegating to the floor, if you haven't listened to those podcasts, you should. Yeah, because the floor doesn't do any work, right? He comes in early, he stays late, he's always there, but he's not very productive. (laughs) So instead of asking whose job is it, we're asking who is the best person to do this. We think it's a better question, right? Because it asks you to think about all the possible answers and then decide. You might have options. You have options. Let's say you have a team of 10 really skilled coders and they're all busy creating a new product, but you have bug fixes that you need on a previous product. So is the best person to do the bug fixes the person who originally wrote the code? Anyone but the person who originally wrote the code, who probably can't see their own mistakes? The person who's contributing least to the new product? The person the manager likes or dislikes the most? The person with the best problem-solving skills? The person with the best customer relationship skills because often bugs come from customers and you have to understand what it is that they're seeing in order to fix it. And that's quite hard. So it could be any one of those or any one of a thousand other reasons, depending on exactly who's in your team, what you're doing, how important the old and new products are in terms of revenue and cost. And if you consider it from that kind of wider wider plane, you're much more likely to get the right solution, a solution that's really good in terms of revenue and cost, rather than, oh, I'm going to give it to Bill because it's Bill's job. And now Bill's got 80 things to do. And Susan, who sits next to him, has only got two things to do. Just because it's someone's job doesn't mean they're the best person to do it. That's absolutely true. I actually find this a lot. This is actually really helpful too, in terms of, we discussed a little bit earlier, like maybe you want to help your peers. Instead of you know, catching them off guard in the meeting, we might offer to lend a helping hand. And this is one of those places too, where we could offer to lend a helping hand. And sometimes when in times of like really high stress, like somebody who has a lot of stuff to do, they could forget to ask for help. They could be so far underwater that they don't know that they need help. And if that's true, then they might benefit from the reminder that, hey, there's other people here to support you, right? I mean, I could help out by writing Sarah's newsletter or putting a deck together for Judy, something like that. And that might not be something that they thought they could ask for with help. And because their mindset also is, this is my job, right? They're saying, whose job is this? Oh, it's mine. And that's not always the perfect answer or it's not the necessary solution, I guess, is maybe the way I think of it. So... It makes me think about delegation too, because one of the reasons you delegate to people is to help them learn how to do the other thing. And in that case, you're not choosing the person whose job it is or the person who is fastest or the person who is best at doing it. You actually, if somebody is going to learn to do it, you're choosing someone who is not good at it because they haven't ever done it. And you're choosing someone who's slow because they haven't ever done it. But you're investing now in them being able to do it to whatever the current standard is later. And that's one of those questions. If you said, whose job is it? You would not give it to that person. And later when when the person whose job it is goes sick, 
you have no one to take over. So delegation is often about allocating work to someone who is not the best person to do it, but that gives you benefits later. Good. So that's our first who question. We have another one though. Who is responsible? Once you've decided who the best person is to do the task, the next question is who will do it? It may not be the best person, exactly what you just said about delegation. It might be that we're focused more on balance of the team members. And so the second best or third best will achieve this task more easily. What we're considering here is we're making sure that the person we've planned to do the task will do it. And that means telling them that they have the task and the deadline. Just because we decided someone should do it, if we don't tell them, they might not know. (laughs) Uh, It's funny, I think sometimes we make decisions in our brain and then I think maybe we verbalize them less often than we imagine. (laughs) So we are going to consider making sure that the person we planned to do the task will do it, telling them that. And this is maybe something you guys have experienced where maybe you've been asked before, have you done X? And you might have said, well, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing X. This has happened to me. And we talk about this sometimes when we talk about the ways that different managers delegate. Some managers say, you're in charge of X. And some managers say, how do you feel about being in charge of X? I feel fine. Are you asking me to do it or not? (laughs) I've been caught off guard by this because I actually thought that my manager was asking me at the time how I felt. And I responded to the question with no idea that I was being assigned the tasking. And so you might say out loud, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. The other thing that happens is I thought you were doing that when two people think the other person is doing it. Yeah, that's fun. Which Mark calls the tennis problem, because when you play doubles tennis, the ball comes over the net and there's two people and one of them has to shout that it's their ball. Otherwise, nobody gets the ball. Uh, And that happens so many times at work when you say, I thought you were doing that. Or I thought we had a discussion and you were doing it. And you did have a discussion, but you both came out of it without, with a different idea about who was doing what. So who is responsible? And again, who is responsible doesn't mean who is doing the task. I can be responsible for a team and my team do the tasks, but it's my responsibility about whether or not they get done. So there's a difference between responsibility and actually doing it, and there's the same Uh, difference between who is going to do it and who will do it. Mm -hmm. And these are just questions that will help us to make sure that things get done and that we are aware of enough information to support those things getting done. Because sometimes the answer is clear to everyone else but us, right? That might happen too. So we want to make sure that the person who's doing the task knows that they're supposed to be doing it. But we also maybe just need that understanding for ourselves because Remember, this is about us asking the right questions. And sometimes asking the question will uncover the fact that we're not sure who's doing it or that it's not been assigned. But also just because maybe we have a question later that we want to go to the person who's responsible. And if we don't know who that is, we might not be able to get the question we have later answered. And so smart questions like this can really help us to get to the answers we might need later for our other questions, maybe you know, even if those questions aren't especially smart. (laughs) Sometimes that happens too, so. (laughs) 
So these are just examples of questions that you can ask that are smart, that go to important things like deadlines and revenue and cost are important things in companies. Uh, there's a million questions you can ask about unimportant things, and there's thousands more smart questions to ask. But hopefully with these, we'll give you a start. It'll give you an, an idea of how we constructed the questions and, and why they were important, and that will help you ask your own questions. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Wendy. Let us bring our effective manager, communicator, or interviewer training directly to you on site, where we can customize our guidance to your workforce. Not only that, but on a date that works best for your op tempo and at a fraction of the cost. For a flat investment that works out to less than 50% of the going rate for a public conference event, we can work with up to 30 of your folks. If you've ever wondered what your results might be if all of your managers were following the manager tools guidance, this is the perfect opportunity to get them trained. That and your organization incurs no downtime for travel when we come directly to you. For more information, contact Maggie at manager-tools.com. That's all for this week. We'll be back with a new topic next week. 